Hi, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host. Every Tuesday and Wednesday, and it is fantastic uh, to be able to join you uh, every uh, every week. Um, now, this week, our theme is the Holy Spirit and the illusion of the super-Christian. Uh, today, we're asking, how does the Holy Spirit work in the church? Uh, so many have certainly inquired about this particular question. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. Now David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome to you, David. How are you, Gary? It's uh, really good to be on air with you and to uh, join our listeners. Oh, it is fantastic to, to, to be here. Isn't it wonderful that uh, daylight saving is gone? My joy just stopped, Gary. I tell you, oh, this is the best time of the year for me. I've got a whole six months um, before we. Uh, I envy our my mates up in Queensland. Look, I really love daylight saving. It enables me to do things when I finish work. Um, I don't. I get up early too. Actually, what I've done the last this last week really so far is when I go to bed earlier, I'm waking up earlier. It makes sense, doesn't it? But I'm waking up at about four a.m. And uh, That's a good time to wake up, it David. Is. So normally I get up before six, right? So I'm going to bed early, getting up early. In fact, I've received some abominably early emails from you uh, just recently. Yeah, well, hopefully the content's not. But, <laughs> but look, I, I did hear something, and I didn't look into it on the news, just a headline that uh, this law passed in the United States to have daylight saving um, all the year round, and it was some mistake that Wash occurred. your I, mouth out. I Wash looked, your I mouth out. I haven't looked out. into it. So, listeners, you need to be careful. Go search it up. Uh, but uh, I did actually hear that as well, actually. And, uh, uh, yes, I, I muttered many mutterings when I, when I saw that. I hope it doesn't come over here. But I'm sure daylight saving will be permanent in heaven, won't it? <laughs> well, there's no night in, in the... Okay, David, you won't be my boss over okay. there. Um, David, look, tell me. How happy do you rate yourself? That's a really personal question, isn't it, Gary? When I walked into our studio, listeners, I'll give you some behind the news uh, uh, briefing. When I walked in, I asked you how you were and you asked me how I was. And so, look, I'm a, I'm a generally fairly positive person, I would suggest. So I'm going to try and skirt this a little bit, right? But I think <laughs> there's a difference between happiness and joy. Okay. Okay. Uh, Happiness, I think, changes and can vary depending on the circumstances. In other words, I can be on a holiday, on a cruise ship with no COVID, okay? That's no COVID. And I can be very happy. I can be on that same cruise ship and it's being tossed to and fro and, and I've got sea, I'm seasick or whatever. Um, am I happy? No. Okay. But joy, and the Apostle Paul talks about that, you know, rejoice and be filled with joy. Joy is something that I see as a spiritual, as a spiritual connection in that regardless of circumstance, I can yeah, have joy in yeah, it, which, which yeah. is something that goes beyond the circumstances that I might face from time to time. It is something that is constant and is there when I have Jesus in my heart. But I happiness can, may vary. Oh, I, 
Thank you for that, David. I can actually see that you actually don't need what I was actually going to suggest. Next, you know, I've just been just been doing some reading and I discovered that uh, a university over in the States is now offering a degree in happiness. Uh, you can actually have a full master's degree. Now, this is online. A New Jersey university is launching what is called the world's first master of arts in happiness studies. Now, this is something, David, that with your understanding there, I don't think you actually need this. Maybe you could actually uh, teach them uh, a thing or two. But uh, when I read this, I thought, wow, a, a master's degree in happiness studies. This sounds really good, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It, it does. Are we going to give it away as a free offer? Now, oh, I tell you, uh, now, there's a, now, now, now there's a possibility. Uh, Centenary University's program will explore the implications of happiness for individuals, the workplace, and for broader society, according to the college's announcement. Now, the next part didn't make me quite too, too uh, happy. Too excited. No, uh, it's... It's set to launch virtually um, at the end of this year and will cost students a cool $17,700. Now, I know who the winner is out of this one. So this is US. This is US dollars. You could buy a new car for that, couldn't you? Ah, this is huge. This is huge. I mean, this this tickled my funny bone some, uh, somewhat. Um, uh, university president in his March 18 announcement said this online 30-credit degree uh, program is interdisciplinary, designed for leaders who are committed to personal, interpersonal, organisation and societal happiness. Wow. You know, David, as I sort of thought of this, I sort of thought, hey, you know, the scriptures are actually so clear on this sort of stuff. You know, I mean, you can go to, you know, particularly you go to, to the Psalms, you know, and for, for no money at all, you get, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, Nehemiah, you know, the... Is able to say that, you know, in Christ we can have joy, John 15. Mm. Um, you know, you get this, uh, in Psalms, come into God's presence and you will have joy. I love what the scriptures actually say and it's all for free. And that's what, that's what I was sort of trying to connect with there that joy is something that God can give us that we don't have to pay thousands of dollars for. Now to experience, you know, I might be going through, um, or you might be going through, our listeners might be going through some trial in life yeah. and we are not happy, Yeah, but we can still have this joy that is deep within us, that this, this certainty, this assurance knowing that we are living within God's will and that he is with us, mm. irrespective of what circumstances we're facing. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And, and to me, that's incredible, incredibly powerful and an amazing possibility that's presented to us in the word of God. Um, but look, let's come to our uh, World Watch uh, segment now because I'm conscious our time is moving on fairly fairly quickly. Now, in uh, today's uh, religion news, one of the religion news, uh, newspapers that I, I do follow, um, this... Um, uh, this article popped up. Uh, why the mini church is the latest trend in American religion. And I suggest there's actually also a trend here uh, in Australia. Uh, while mega churches often make headlines, most of the congregations in the United States are relatively small. And uh, then it tells this, uh, this story. The Reverend Derek Miller has seen the future of the church in America. And according to this article, it's small, not big. On a Sunday morning... In early November, Miller, guitar in hand, stepped up to the microphone at the Cornerstone Church and began singing the familiar words to Charles Wesley's hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. 
A handful of people scattered in the sanctuary sang along, including a church elder in the front row next to a pair of young children tapping on tambourines. By the time all the latecomers had arrived, there were 12 people in the congregation. Services are now and often in that place are a one-man show. On this Sunday, Miller led the singing, preached the sermon, even handed down the video for the live stream of the service, moving the camera closer to the pulpit and greeting people online before preaching. Cornerstone is part of the fastest-growing group of congregations in America, the Mini Church, according to a recently released Faith Communities Today study. Half of the congregations in the United States have 65 people or fewer. Now, to me, David, that uh, uh, that jumped out at me. But, you know, one of the things that it really set, said to me uh, was what are the comparatives? Well, there's actually a graph in this particular study that talks about the comparatives with past years. And uh, this same survey has been taken now for the last uh, 20 years. And uh, they've asked what is the median uh, worship attendance in congregations uh, in America. And uh, uh, the median, of course, is the, the center number. Back in 2000, the median number of individuals attending worship uh, on weekends uh, in 2000 was 137. In 2005, it was 129. In 2008, it had dropped to 115. In 2010, to 105. By 2015, it had dropped to 80. And now in 2020, it's dropped to 65. Now, this is the median worship attendance amongst U.S. congregations. Now, David, um, the, the comment here says this, that's a marked change from two decades earlier when the 2000 Faith Communities uh, Survey uh, found the median congregation 20 years ago was 137. Now, David, just tell me, how do you find it? I mean, you visit around as the lead pastor here in South Australia to, uh, I mean, certainly we've got uh, 30, 35, 40 churches here in yes. uh, this particular district. Now, you visit around to a different church each week. How is it here in South Australia and how do you perceive that it is within Australia? Yeah, really good questions, Gary. And it's um, potentially confronting or it could be seen as as uh, a really good opportunity that average church attendance has declined. Uh, and I, it could be seen as a good opportunity, but that's confronting. It's halved yeah. in, in yeah. 20 years. So look, in, in our church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and, and I'll speak of South Australia, our membership has grown mm-hmm. over 20 years. Uh, and when we say membership, we're talking um, believers' baptism, where where people choose to be baptized into Christ. We're baptized mm-hmm. into Christ, not a church. Christ is the head; the church is the body. And we'll talk more about that later. But um, so individuals choose to be baptized, believers' baptism. Um, now, church attendance is something different. Yeah. Yep. Now, typically, the Adventist Church is, is one of the uh, more highly uh, People that are members or attend the Adventist church, there tends to be a fairly high uptake of regular church attendance yeah. uh, compared with some denominations. Yes, yes. And so, look, um, 
I don't. I haven't looked at the stats. I know our membership has increased, but I haven't looked at the stats of attendance. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our attendance the last couple of years has rough did take a hit, um, a small a small hit um, from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one, maybe of uh, of about a hundred people roughly uh, across our, our state in in weekly average weekly church attendance so some church attendances are down others have increased mm-hmm. but we do have a number we've got about 40 congregations and a number of them and a number of churches planted in the last uh, 3 or 4 years and even one recent one which will uh, god willing be launching they're already meeting but officially launching we have a number of congregations around the 30 to 40 mark mm-hmm. um we don't have any sort of large churches in South Australia of over 400. Um, and do you know what? I was speaking, Gary, with um, someone in Melbourne where I used to minister, and they told me about the, the commencement of the Adventist church in, mm. in Australia. And they told me about a number of these inner city churches yeah. uh, in some of those inner suburban suburbs of Melbourne. And, and this individual said to me that one of the, the key things to note about these churches is they were built to only hold a smaller number of people. Mm-hmm. And I really think, you know, the Adventist church sees itself as a movement, something that is that is growing and moving yeah, and progressing yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. I personally, and I'm not a church growth expert, but I personally think that can best be done and more readily done in smaller size congregations. Yeah. Now, I think they're getting... People get involved a lot more in smaller more family-oriented congregations, don't they? Yeah, and it has a balancing, it has a yep, tipping yep, point yep, yep. as well, obviously. But but I think, obviously, when a church gets to a certain critical mass, and some of the churches I've been in with a couple of hundred, uh, and if they've got a school attached to them or something, the, the members know that the church will always be there. Yeah, yeah. And so some members uh, may just sit back and become consumers and sit back for the ride because they know the church will always be in existence. Whereas a smaller group... Um, you know, above a tipping point, they 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 know each other more intimately. Uh, there can be greater drive and passion to grow, particularly church plants. Yeah, because yep. a church plant will know that if it's going to survive, it needs everyone on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, David, this actually brings me to, to the very next question here because um, there was a, another report called the National Congregation Study that found that that while the average congregation is small, they essentially agreed with the with the first study. Uh, they discovered that the majority of churchgoers are worshiping in congregations of about four hundred. So you've got this split, so that the majority of people going to church as people are concerned, are actually in uh, larger churches, and yet the um, median number of people in churches is actually down at about the 65, 65 to 70, 70. Uh, type number. Now, the report, um, share, the, the Religion News Service says this, the report reflects the reality that religious Americans are being sorted into two kinds of churches, mega churches and mini churches like Cornerstone. Now, to me, David, this is a little bit uh, worrying, I think. Do you think there is a critical mass below which churches endanger their own existence? Look, really good question. I think there's a whole range of answers, Gary. Um, uh, certainly you look to the New Testament, you see a number of house churches, don't you, where, yeah, where believers yeah. met in people's houses. Now, some of those might have been big, 
but I'd you know it seemed that they weren't overly big. Mm. Uh, so the Holy Spirit will work when there are two or three believers present. In yep. his name, yep. he'll be there. Yep. And if an individual is infilled with the Holy Spirit and they're committed to the ministry and committed to the body of Christ, the church will grow. Mm. And particularly if you have numerous people in that group committed. Yep. Yep. Uh, we have one group, I think I might have touched on it last week, down in the southeast corner of South Australia where one Adventist lady moved to an area with no regular attended uh, Adventist, no regular attending Adventist members. Uh, two others joined, and uh, now they're regularly uh, having 25-odd people a week uh, wow. worshipping with wow. them. Uh, That's powerful, isn't it? That, when people are committed, when core, a yep. core group is committed, yep. Yep. I don't think it really matters. Yep. It does place greater stress and burdens on the individuals, but if they're committed, God will do amazing things. Yeah. Uh, if that is not the case, and where you've got people that may be due to um, life, uh, the, the, the stage of life, maybe there is sickness, uh, and when it all falls on one or two, or it could be 15 or 20 people or 30 mm. people at times, and if people are not fully sold on the commission of Jesus Christ, then that church may struggle. And it could struggle for a variety of reasons. Yeah, but unless yeah. people are filled with the Spirit and actually praying for God to do something and to use them, yeah. that church will struggle. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that, David. That's uh, that, that's an excellent response. Um, tell us, just, just one last question. Do you think we actually need to reevaluate possibly our model of you know, professional clergy? Because certainly uh, in our increasingly, you know, churches certainly within Adventism, outside of Adventism, certainly in this country have relied for many years on the professional clergy type type model. Is it time to actually reevaluate that? Yeah, and, and look, I think in many denominations, uh, people have tried to do that, and I think we need to. We need to realise the context in which we live, mm. you know, in our Western culture. Uh, I've been uh, through a couple of countries in South America where, um, you know, there will be um, uh, 30 to 40 pastors with 3,000 church members. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, 30 to 40 pastors with with you know ten thousand ten thousand fifteen thousand members yeah, yeah. Um, I think in our developed countries uh, churches and I'm generalizing but church members tend to rely more on the professional pastor so to speak yeah, yeah. Uh, one of our colleagues in 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 South Australia that is new to our to our state here in ministry um, I worked with him in Melbourne he did his training in in uh, England. Uh, when he went back to his home country in Africa, he started off as a, as a ministerial intern, a new minister, with 11 churches. Wow. And wow. his supervisor had something in the effect of about 22 okay. churches. Okay. And so that model of ministry has to be different. And so they would meet more frequently, the leaders, the pastors, with their members, with their key members, like your, your elders, your, your deacons, etc., yeah. and give them training to empower them for ministry. And this is what we're coming to today, isn't it? Because, you know, what uh, people are doing there, what pastors are doing is using the spiritual giftedness of the individuals within the church. And this is the biblical model. That is. So, so how do we, the, one of the concerning questions, how do we, um, how do we change the mind of the church 
that every member is a minister, every member is given gifts, and that they have a critical role to play. Because, Gary, I believe Christians grow when we, when we pray, when we pray, when we read the scriptures, and then when we put that into physical action, tangible action. Powerful, powerful. Yeah, yeah, no. Thank you so much for that, Dave. Really appreciate it. And we're going to uh, develop that last point uh, in just a few moments. But, guys, look, let's come to some music right now. This is uh, Faith First, and uh, the song is uh, Where There Is Faith. Uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful song.
is Faith by Faith First. Uh, uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, uh, look, um, Steps to Personal Revival. Now, our free gift for you today is uh, is this really beautiful book, uh, uh, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit, Steps to Personal Revival by Helmut Hubel. Uh, fantastic little song, uh, little book. David, do you know the book at all? Yes, I do. I've got a number of copies and have begun to underline each book in several various different places. Look, it's an incredibly practical book. Um, that digs deeply into uh, what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian mm. as opposed to what the Bible refers to as a carnal Christian, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the flesh. So we can be in a church, we can we can be part of an organization, we can talk the right things, we can look the right way, but we may be a carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian, if you like, rather than a spirit-filled Christian. And and he ha- it's a really practical book. One of the things I love about it, it's not hugely thick. Yeah. Uh, it's easy yeah. to read. And, um, yeah, I would really encourage our listeners, listeners to, to ring in, text in, and uh, with this offer number and really get this book, you will truly be blessed. Yeah, and yeah. I know numerous ministers and others where it's really changed their lives. Yeah, I've certainly taken my, my elders through uh, this particular book at elders meetings as we shared together and had a powerful impact. This is this is life-changing uh, so, type, type book. So whether someone's a church leader or a church member or, or just someone attending church that really wants to have the Holy Spirit work in their lives, God work in their lives, you will have a far deeper understanding uh, by reading this book. So I want to encourage every listener out there to text through Gary and get yeah, this free yeah, offer. Yeah. No, look, this is really worth it. Look, guys, if you would like a copy of Steps to Personal Revival, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit, then what you need to do is to text us here at our studio text number, and that number is 04888 11 That number again is 04888 80811. And look, in your text, all you need to do is to put the, uh, the code SA39. Uh, that's SA39. No gaps between the SA and the 39. Just SA39. And, uh, you'll be contacted by our friend, uh, the called Faithful. He's our robot. And uh, he'll ask you for a, a few more details, a bit more information, and uh, so that he can get it to you in the fastest possible way. Uh, so that number again is 04888-80811. And the code is SA39 to receive this book, Steps to Personal Revival, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll love uh, this uh, this particular book. Now, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today, our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David is the uh, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, and this week we're taking as our theme the Holy Spirit and the illusion of the super-Christian. And today we're simply asking how does the Holy Spirit uh, come to work in the church? You know, David, it was really early in my um, in my ministry, uh, three young men. Uh, I came and started attending my church because they said to me they appreciate the church's spiritual teaching and ministry. But they they were actually deeply concerned because neither myself or my church members spoke in other tongues. Now, we're going to deal with the subject of tongues tomorrow, and uh, you'll really enjoy that particular presentation. But, David, how is the Holy Spirit evidenced in a church, how do I know if a holy if the Holy Spirit is present 
in a particular church? Really good question, Gary. Um, should we get right into it? We certainly do. Please do. Yeah, let me let me just um, start with an opening premise, if I can, and uh, we'll probably come back to this. Um, as you've said, you know, you've had connection with people that were really impressed with the biblical teaching, but you didn't possess one of the gifts. Mm. You didn't have one of the spiritual gifts, and so they left. Uh, I believe in spiritual gifts. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts, but I also have concerns when someone may come up to me and say, well, I have the gift of um, teaching or the gift yes. of apostleship, yes. Yes. Um, therefore I cannot go out and go door knocking or, I, or, or because I have the gift of apostleship and not the gift of teaching, I'm not prepared to teach because this is my gift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... I think too often, and I'm going to clarify this later on, too often we focus on the outward working of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. rather than the actual gift himself. In other words, we talk about spiritual gifts, and there is lists lists of them, correct? Yeah. Uh, But the ultimate gift is the Holy Spirit himself. In in Acts chapter 1, the commencement of the Christian church, around about verse 5, Jesus promises his followers before he goes to heaven that they need to go back to Jerusalem and wait till they receive the promise of the Father. Yeah. He then elaborates that that is the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the sermon in Acts chapter 2, where Peter and the disciples are there at Pentecost, uh, the people are cut to the heart by what they hear. Mm-hmm. And they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? What verse we 37. Do? Indeed, yep. Verse 38, Peter gives a response, his mm-hmm. reply. And and it says to repent and be baptized every one of you in the and he says you will receive the gift from the father the gift singular yes of the holy spirit yeah so there in acts chapter 2 verse 38 the gift is the holy spirit so in other words when i uh, pray for I am baptized. I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I receive the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And that is the gift. And that is the promise of the Father. So often we get hung up on, well, I've got the gift of teaching or administration or leadership or hospitality. They're all important things, right? In the body of a church. But often, um, we forget that the ultimate gift, the real gift is the Holy Spirit. And when God gives us an assignment, Mm-hmm. He then equips us with the outworking of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which may be the gift of administration or the gift of hospitality. So in other words, the gift of the Holy Spirit can actually be displayed in different ways through individual capabilities. Let me give you an example yeah, of that. Yeah, sure. In um, uh, Numbers, I think it is, chapter, let me try and find it. Numbers, Numbers Old Testament. Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, uh, we've got the final end of a story uh, where Moses says to Joshua, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were the prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. This is a story where uh, the 70 um, elders in the Mm. Old Testament are called out. They surround the tabernacle and uh, they speak, they prophesy. And two left in the camp also prophesied. Now, we read in, in that story in Numbers chapter 12 that that was, uh, Numbers chapter 11, that that was a once-only gift. Mm-hmm. So gifts uh, can be given, the gift of the Spirit and the outworking of the gift of the Holy Spirit is sometimes only given for a particular purpose and a particular point in time. And yet at other times, 
it's given to a person in perpetuity. For a lifetime. For a lifetime. Uh, so what we do know is that the Holy Spirit is given to believers. In other words, we can't control how the Holy Spirit works, but rather the Holy Spirit can actually control us. Now that's, and, and this is really important what you've just said, because often we will talk of the Holy Spirit or people will as, um, if they talk of it as an influence or a, a spirit emanating from the Father or, or the Son, it's something that they think they can control, whereas the Holy Spirit is God Himself. Mm-hmm. And in, in 1 Corinthians, Gary, uh, chapter 12, and I think it's verse 11, It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit, uh, when we pray for the Holy Spirit, when when we surrender our lives, we are given the Holy Spirit. But the outworkings of the Holy Spirit, what we often call the gifts, Mm. are given and determined by the Holy Spirit as he wills. Mm -hmm. So for someone to come along and say that, Unless you have this particular gift, and I remember walking down the streets of Sydney one day, Saturday afternoon, and uh, walking past the town hall, and there was a revival meeting on by a particular dom- denomination. People were out there uh, on on the footpath, and they were saying, "Come in," and I actually went in and watched with my wife, and and they were baptizing people, but they weren't baptizing people until they spoke with what they thought was a gift of tongues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Instead of seeking one specific gift or almost demanding or being proud of a particular gift, we need to remember that the gifts are given to the church for the uplifting and the equipping of the church, but the Holy Spirit is the one. He is the gift that all of us should have and can have, and he is the one that determines which gifts he gives to who. Okay, so it it's, it comes back to the Holy Spirit, and He freely distributes. You know, David, to me that strikes me as an incredibly beautiful thing to actually occur. You know, it actually says something to me about why it's important to actually have um, more than uh, just two or three people in a church. You know, it, it, it's when a church has got a, a access to all of the gifts that the church seems to profit most of all. That's really true, Gary. Um, we weren't made to live in isolation. We were yeah. made for relationships. Yeah. A- and the scriptures refer to Jesus as the head and the church as the body, and we'll mm. talk more about that later. The body is made up of many parts. Yeah. And so the outworking of the gift of the Holy Spirit takes various forms, hospitality, acts of mercy, um, uh, teaching, apostleship, all of these things. And, and maybe we should look at some of those. Yeah, yeah sure. We? Let's do that. So Romans chapter 12 and uh, we must say that most of these passages that deal with the outworking of the Holy Spirit uh, are in the Pauline writings, or in Paul's writings. Yeah. Uh, so let's have a look here. Um, let's start, Gary, um, from verse 4, okay. uh, where the apostle says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So here is a collective. Here is an interdependence upon each other. Yeah, yeah. I I love this, the way that we're not designed to stand alone. We are designed to stand in community with the support of others who have different gifts 
to what I've got. And that's really critical, isn't it, Gary? Yeah. Because I might think, well, my gift's more important. I don't need that person yeah, with yeah, their yeah, spiritual yeah, giftedness. Yeah. yeah. We're codependent. We are codependent. And this is what this is teaching us. You know, in fact, what it says to me is that the church needs the gift that I've been given. Exactly. None of us are better off than each other. Uh, so let, let's continue. Um, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. And he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so here we have a listing, and there are various mm. listings of the gifts. They differ, that their arrangement of them or the sequence of these lists Indeed. are different. Which suggests that maybe there isn't a, a, a definitive list of which one is most important and which one is least. Now, I think. And, and this, of course, is one of the huge challenges that we do actually face uh, in the church today because it is so easy to be able to uh, classify the gifts as most important. And least important, you know, I mean, up the top, you've got the evangelists, you've got the pastors, you've got the, you know, the administrator, they're the ones at the top, whereas at the bottom of the gift, you've got, you know, those that are, you know, got gifts of... Uh, of martyrdom. <laughs> of martyrdom. At the Look, David, you know, some time ago, I, I well remember, uh, I, uh, I actually, um, uh, early in my ministry, was served a very, very valuable lesson. I had a, uh, a lady... Uh, who came to my church. She actually came from, had an American background and she had a wonderful gift of hospitality. And uh, I, I came to the point where I realized that at almost any time of the day or night, I could turn up at her place and there would be non-Christian people in her house and she would be simply ministering to them. She'd be sharing with them and they would be just sitting and doing craft together. I actually started doing three and four visits per pastor's visit to them every single week simply because I knew that every time I went there, there was going to be somebody different who she'd be ministering to and they could, uh, I could jump in on top of what they were actually at. Now, to, to, to me, the thing that I suppose I, I've actually said to my, uh, my churches numerous of times, I've said, look, uh, uh, to me, sometimes we classify the gifts, uh, in the wrong order. True. Um, and, uh, myself, uh, I, I, I personally have come to believe that two of the most powerful gifts an individual can have is hospitality, and encouragement. In fact, if those two gifts are put together, you will grow the church. I agree. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses you know, 43, uh, 42, right through to uh, 46, you find that hospitality is, uh, you know, they broke bread from house, and ha yeah. house to house. They were fellowshipping together. Yeah. Uh, you can't build relationships really without fellowship or you struggle. Indeed, indeed. And food, which is not the only part of hospitality, but food is is a significant factor with that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. breaks down barriers when people eat together. They are two simple gifts, and yet, according to Paul, hospitality and encouragement are gifts 
of the Holy Spirit. They come from God himself. Some people are very good at it. Um, others are not quite so good at it. Absolutely. But God has given those other people other gifts. Exactly. And what, what, what a blessing this is for the church. Look, let's come to some music, though, David. Um, let's come to Gavin Chatillier. Uh, this is uh, As Water uh, to the Thirsty, and that's indeed what the Holy Spirit is. Please enjoy Gavin Chatillier. Gavin Chatillier 
as water to the thirsty. Gavin's a, a mate of mine. I, I know him personally. Uh, I've, uh, I've heard him sing many times and, uh, and I know that he is a greatly appreciated, uh, country, uh, country singer. Uh, country gospel is his, uh, specialty. Uh, he has quite a story, uh, to tell. If ever you get opportunity to share with him, um, or to listen to him, uh, please uh, take uh, advantage of that uh, that opportunity. Please don't forget our uh, our giveaway, our free book uh, for today. Uh, again, is that uh, book Steps to Personal Revival. Uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He revives us, being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it actually mean? What did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit? Is there a spiritual cause to our problems? Is the cause a lack of the Holy Spirit. How can we grow to be happy and strong Christians? How can the Holy Spirit fill our lives today? They're the questions that uh, this particular book will answer. You've heard uh, David uh, share earlier today on uh, his um, uh, reading of this this particular book. I've been incredibly blessed by it personally. Now, look, if you would like to get your own copy of Steps to Personal Revival, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, then please just send us uh, a text to our studio text number. Uh, that number is 04888 808 11. That number again is 04888 808 11. And all you need to do is to uh, send us the uh, the code on your uh, text message. Just simply say SA. 39, SA 39, no gaps between, uh, uh, between those numbers. And, uh, you'll be contacted by our good friend Faithful. Faithful's our robot. And, uh, he'll get the information off you that we need so that we can get this to you in the fastest possible, uh, way. And, uh, we really appreciate our, our friend the robot actually doing, doing that. But remember, that code is SA 39, no gaps between, uh, between any of those numbers. Um, and that number again is 04. Or triple eight eight zero eight. Uh, 11. And now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week we're taking as our theme, the Holy Spirit and the illusion of super-Christians. Today we're asking, how does the Holy Spirit Work in the church. David, really appreciate what you've actually told us so far. And this brings incredible unity to the church when I recognize how much need I have of others and how much they need of me. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? And what you just said is really important, Gary. Jesus says, for without me, you can do nothing. Yeah. He sent the Holy Spirit on his behalf as our comforter to convict, to convict us of sin, to equip us, right? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, Gary. We've looked at Romans 12 briefly. You go to 1 Corinthians. 12 and then you go to Ephesians 4 and these are the, the key passages where you have a number of the, the gifts so to speak listed uh, and those gifts include in 1 Corinthians 12, just touching on some of these, uh, we talk about uh, the gifts of wisdom uh, words of knowledge uh, to another faith the gift of faith, to another the gift of healing, uh, to others the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to the discerning of spirits, uh, and to different kinds of tongues or languages. Uh, and then it says again, verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
You then go to Ephesians 4, and we have a, a small listing again of some of the outworking gifts of the Holy Spirit. And verse 11 of uh, Ephesians 4 says, And he himself, that's God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Uh, so there are, uh, and there are other gifts lift, listed yeah, in scripture. Yeah, yeah. Two texts I want to talk about here. What is the purpose of the gifts? In, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 6, it says, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation, verse 7, of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the purpose of the gifts is not for myself, but is to benefit or profit all. Mm. In other words, the church. Mm. When you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, after it talks about uh, God giving some the ability to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers, verse 12 says that these are given for the equipping of the saints and for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's actually an evangelistic purpose. It is. It's a missional purpose. Yeah. And so the gifts or the outworking of the Holy Spirit is given specifically for equipping the church members for the work of ministry, for building up the body or the church, mm. and uh, for edifying, yeah. for uplifting yeah. each other. Yeah. And it says, till we all reach the unity of the faith. Yeah. This is talking about the gifts will be in vogue, will be in until Jesus returns. Uh, that's and, and that's a powerful and an important point. But, David, look, there is a question I know that in ministry I've been asked, uh, I think, countless times, and that is, hey, how do I know what my particular gift is? Because, uh, you know, sometimes it's very easy to be part of a group and, a, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly recognised. The scriptures seem to indicate that, you know, everyone is given a, a gift, but how do I know how God wants me to minister? What is my gift? A really good question. And some people say, look, I, I won't do anything till I know, or the spiritual gift inventory survey I've done says I'm this and I won't do anything else. Sometimes, Gary, I think um, uh, God may equip us for a particular purpose, uh, and, and that gift that he gives is with us uh, for that work of ministry for a long period of time. So, um, you know, when I was young in the church, um, I got into teaching, uh, etc. When I was um, working in, in various businesses and involved in church life, but as, as a church member, I, I was teaching. And I had some people come up to me and say, hey, have you ever thought of ministry? You know, you've got mm-hmm. a real gift of teaching. Now, I don't know whether I do or don't. I enjoy teaching. Um, but... Sometimes it's recognized, one, we might recognize it within ourselves. God speaks to us uh, or impresses us to do something. And sometimes he impresses us to do something, and then others will recognize that we have giftedness in a particular area. Important, important. And so it can be affirmed and confirmed by others. And, you know, David, one of the things that I'm really conscious of is that as we actually utilize the gift or gifts that we've been given, it appears that God almost, the Holy Spirit, multiplies those gifts. I know that uh, I think of my own, my own case. You know, when I start, first started in, uh, uh, in ministry, I think I was probably, uh, probably not the most, uh, a gifted pastor, uh, in the, uh, in the entire, um, on the planet, uh, field, on the planet. you know, um, and, you know, I mean, 
one of the things that I, I've really noticed is that what God does is when you take your one gift and utilize that one gift, he actually goes and multiplies and adds other gifts uh, to you as time goes on. And so that's why Romans 12 talks about... Um, uh, being transformed by the renewing of our minds and being living sacrifices as we surrender ourselves to Christ and we empty, allow him to, and this is what this book, Personal Steps to Spiritual Revival, talks about. As we allow him to empty us, he can yeah. then infill us with his spirit who will continually equip us. Gary, um, one of the things I do is I look and I pray uh, for leaders. Uh, and um, sometimes other people will make me aware. Sometimes God will make me aware. But I want to take us to Exodus 31, a really important Please passage do. in do. the Old Testament. Exodus 31, verses 1 to 6. I won't read it all. But it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So God has called this gentleman, called Bezalel, um, God says to Moses, he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I indeed, I have appointed him with Aholiab, the son of Asimach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, etc., etc. What this passage tells me, some very important things, is that uh, the pattern of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is there is an assignment. Yes. Someone might be set aside to be a a prophet or a king. There is an assignment. Then a gift is given. They are empowered. Yes. And then there is then proof of the gift. Yes. Uh, and what does this tell me? Some people run into difficulty, Gary, when uh, considering spiritual gifts. Sometimes they think that God gives them a thing like an ingredient called administration or yeah, teaching, etc. Yeah. Uh, but God doesn't give a thing. He gives himself. Mm-hmm. The gift is a person. Yeah. The Holy Spirit equips you and I and everyone with his, in this case, administrative gift and the administrative ability. So God's administration becomes your administration, or God's hospitality becomes your In other your words, God is able to actually utilize your mind and your body with the particular skills, I think, of Bazael there. I mean, he's equipped with incredibly practical skills, the skills that are needed in order to be able to build the sanctuary. And as I look at that, I say, hey, what a God we're actually serving. He's not just a caring for those who are the preachers up the, up the front. He's not just caring for the evangelist or for those who work miracles, but Rather, he's also working for the tradesman. This is a, this is the tradesman Absolutely. who's doing his trade. So the gift was the Holy Spirit coming upon these individuals, yeah, yeah. and the outworking of the Holy Spirit coming upon that individual was the ability of these trades. So the Holy Spirit equips us with a various ministry, and when you see a spiritual gift exercise, you're observing a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So the real gift is the person, Gary. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And uh, that's why, to me, Philippians chapter 2 actually says, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus because what we actually have there is when the Holy Spirit fills me I actually start to think with the same thoughts that Jesus Christ 
himself started to think. I start to become more like Jesus and I start to experience just some of the gifts as the Spirit wills. And he enables you to minister. And he enables you to minister. Guys, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. I want to say thank you for being our Lord and our God. Lord, thank you for being the almighty equipper. Uh, thank you being for being the all-powerful God who's prepared to give us gifts for ministry. Lord, I just pray for every single uh, person listening to us today. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray for some who may not uh, be aware of their own personal gifts. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you might empower them. Uh, Lord, that you might touch them, that you might reveal to their mind exactly the gift that you've given to them. And Lord, that you might use them powerfully to build up their church, build up the church. Lord, uh, these things we ask and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, friends, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will spend the entire time looking at the question, what's the place of tongues in the church? Now, this is a really big one. Uh, really look forward uh, to, uh, to being with you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 